Hello and welcome to season two of the Therapy Works podcast, the podcast that confronts some of life's biggest challenges. I'm your host, Julia Samuel, a mother of four, a best-selling author, and as you might have guessed, a psychotherapist. Each week, I'll invite you into my therapy room, where I'll be joined by a well-known voice or an unknown voice who will open up about a particular struggle they have faced or are still facing. My mission is to expand our understanding of therapy and prove that meaningful conversations, which may contain difficult emotions, can be profoundly healing. I'm delighted to introduce Suzanne Risk to the Therapy Works podcast. She's 38 years old, a mother of a two-year-old and a qualitative researcher. Hi, Suzanne. Thank you so much for joining me. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Do you want to tell us the challenge you are facing? Oh, I'd say the last two and a half years, uh, probably for most people, but... um... I think uh, I found it particularly challenging. March 2020, um, I was seven months pregnant with my first child, Rami, and my mum died suddenly um, from COVID. Um, oh, yeah. Um, and obviously, it was it was before lockdown, so no one really knew what was going on in in any sense of of the magnitude of what we were dealing with. Um, it was on the 21st of March, so so before the lockdown. Um, you know, I was very close to my mum. And it it was heartbreaking. It was heartbreaking in so many ways. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, just as you're speaking, the thing I'm picking up is no one really knew about the pandemic or COVID at that point. Mm. We had no information. And then your mum out of the blue suddenly died yeah. But you knew yeah. it was of COVID. Yeah, well, it was it was a really weird scenario because um I knew that she was unwell um and I was talking to her every day. So the other thing was it had just come out that pregnant people should stay at home because we didn't know the implications of COVID. So I was already kind of bunkering down in that sense. Um and so there'd been a week kind of past that I wasn't going into work and I was just staying at home and I was contacting my mum every day. She was unwell on the Sunday before um and I spoke to her and she said she just wasn't feeling great. And so I was FaceTiming her every day and she just was convinced that it was something, you know, something little, da da da. And then as the days progressed, she wasn't feeling very well and, and it just didn't seem to be getting better. So she called the doctor um and the doctor um answered and told her that he thought it was mild coronavirus of which we didn't really know what that meant I mean I'm sitting there in my home in Hertfordshire and she's half an hour from me and I'm thinking well you know I I know that this might not end particularly well so you know why is there this kind of sit and wait and see approach of which there was and so you know I was from afar but not really you know seeing this all unfold and it was just a sit and wait and see scenario uh, which in hindsight seems absolutely ludicrous um so she she was diagnosed with on the Friday with having mild coronavirus without seeing anybody and then on the Saturday I contacted her and I could see her and I just knew that she just wasn't herself even though she said she seemed to feel better and I just something inside me just said I just need to go and see her I just need to you know we need to drive there and of course you know my husband and uh, everyone were like you you can't go and see her you can't go inside 
Um, but I just took the plunge. My husband drove. We drove half an hour to see her. And when we got there, my husband ran into the hut to her home. I had to wait outside. And she basically passed away within 20 minutes of us arriving. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. It happened so quickly, which is, I guess, a blessing for her because, you know, having all the hospital stays that people had to endure without being with their loved one must have been unbelievably difficult. And so, yeah, she she just she just passed away ever so quickly. Um, and I'm outside being pregnant. <laughs> He's inside with her. And obviously on the back of that came two weeks of isolation for him and me not being with him. And so you asked, you know, was it COVID? Did they know it was COVID? They did do a test afterwards. They wouldn't test. They weren't testing at the time. Um, I remember just begging the paramedics to give my husband a test because obviously if he hadn't have caught it, then I would be able to have spent time with him during a mourning period. And they just didn't. They just weren't testing people. I mean, the paramedics said to me that they're not even testing us. And and just as the, the events were unfolding, it just felt so surreal, Julia. It just felt so yeah. incredibly surreal. Um, and the circumstances surrounding it, I felt like I was watching a movie, you know. Um, and you said that as you were speaking, because you were outside and you didn't see her and you were alone and you had that time of separation before you drove over, I'm sensing that... It feels surreal now that you can't actually believe that she's died. No, I, I don't think, I don't think I have fully realised that part of it. I have dreams all the time of which it didn't, you know, she actually is alive and she got COVID. So in one way, I wonder if my main, my brain's still feeling like she still is alive because the story that's in the narrative that's in my dream suggests that she was, she's actually okay. I just don't know it because I was so distanced from her. I mean, don't get me wrong, the last two years have been full of tears and sadness and, and I feel it, but there is something about the way that it unfolded that just doesn't seem to have cognitively made sense to me in any way. I mean, we know from a kind of research, and I don't know if this is like too much blunt instrument, but that our brain is a learning machine and that we need to have a kind of memory and a visual and a bodily experience of the events that have happened in order to fully integrate and cognate them. Well, I think I'm right in saying you didn't see your mum after she died. And so, and I asked, so obviously in the funeral perspective, I, I wanted to see her, I wanted to process it. And because of COVID and all the restrictions that were on place, I, I wasn't able to see her in any sense. So yes, to your point, I didn't. I didn't see that. And touch her and know that she was cold or or you have no visual memory of her as a dead person. So the only knowledge your brain has is that she's alive. And I can see tears in you as, uh, as I'm saying that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's one part that just never wants to believe it anyway. And there's another part that just, because I was so removed and nothing was allowing me to have the ritual of goodbye that I, I wanted, that I felt like it was a human right. Yeah. I didn't experience that. And the funeral the same? Yeah, so the funeral, I mean, it 
was a mess in the sense it took ages because there were just unfortunately so many deaths but um yeah like I mean just every every request that you could ask for um you know wanting to see her wanting to put something in in the coffin that everything was being met with a no we can't do this uh covid restrict and and I appreciate like it was uncharted territory um but I just think the magnitude of not allowing people to have those rituals was just you know it it traumatic in itself losing someone but those other elements just have a ripple effect and they just destabilize you completely and they make what's already devastating so much worse can i just ask you for your sort of family um constellation so do you have a dad that's alive or lives with your mum's siblings yeah so I, I have a dad I don't have a relationship with my dad any longer um so my mum and I'm I'm an only child so the relationship between me and my mum was so incredibly special I, I'm somebody that speak to her every day even coming on to this podcast the one person that I would call would be would be her um so we had an incredible relationship and she was so excited her only child also soon to be a grandmother and it just broke me so she was everything it was it was just me and you know my my husband was amazing and great especially you know doing what he did you know going into the home looking after my mom yeah and the shock he must have been traumatized yeah uh, you know I, I don't anticipate that wasn't any easy thing for him to kind of engaging but he did it for for us for for me and and I'll always be kind of eternally grateful for that but um yeah in terms of my mum and the relationship that I had with her it was just yeah she was your everything and as you're speaking it feels like there's two parts of you that are computing at the same time one is understanding it was Covid understanding people were in uncharted territory and another kind of outraged fury that the normal human rights and rituals that you deserved and were vitally important for you were denied to you, that, that somehow the system denied you the capacity to be fully loving as a daughter to your mum as she yeah, died. Yeah, I, I, there is a level of anger there um, and frustration. And I mean, there's no regret because there's nothing I could have done to have changed the outcome but um there is there is a significant sense of anger and grief for the goodbye that I was never allowed to give and from even from a numbers perspective could only have eight and when you're mourning to be separated from people it's just unfathomable and it just feels like now we're I say on the other side I mean we're not really but we've moved through Covid the, the trauma on top of trauma on top of trauma that I experienced and so many others are just it angers me it just it just angers me, I guess, if I'm honest. Yeah. And is that what made it so particularly challenging about your experience? I never realised that such intense sadness and such intense joy could exist at the same time. Um, and having a child also through the most challenging time in history was so lovely and beautiful, but so sad at the same time. And I think that for me was the biggest challenge the expectation of the birth and the life that I was going to have with my family that didn't take fold and 
it just I think that was <laughs> that was the real the real challenging part for my brain to to process I mean it's feels completely crazy making that there was a new birth and death literally kind of head to head in your system weeks apart and the joy and the the way birth kind of opens you but also <laughs> throws you and is a different landscape internally and externally you know forming a relationship with this new baby but then at the same time your internal landscape dealing with the devastation of the loss of of your mum and all the future that you both expected for her as a grandmother and what that means it sounds impossibly difficult and 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 going back to like birth and death are things that you shouldn't be doing alone and and that's exactly how the structure that was in place for us so it's twofold the challenge the sadness you know it's it, it it was a grief is already lonely. <laughs> yeah, and chilly and isolating. And then you combine that with actual restrictions that prevent you from being with your husband in the hospital or being with your friends and family when you're at a funeral. It's just, yeah, it 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 was just huge. Like I guess for me personally to to kind of navigate. And you're saying it was as if this is, that is the past. So where are you in the present with it? If you kind of take a breath and you kind of, you're looking inside and aware of what's going on in your mind and your feelings, what what are you aware of right now? I'm aware that I'm remarkably calm about saying this story, but you catch me on another day and I'll just be bursting into tears. Um, yeah. I do read and follow you and everything you have you know given me some sense of this is okay and normal and through the grief process I mean the feelings are so volatile like they can just come up when and hit you and and make you sad I mean I don't think the anger subsided if I'm honest but I'm not very good with anger (laughs) so I usually just bury it anyway but there is an intense sadness that I don't know I don't know does it ever go away I don't think people say it does it just I think it changes I mean I'm wondering with your anger whether there are things that you could do to help you express it I mean one of the things that helps with anger is a combination of physically doing something like kicking in a swimming pool or punching a pillow or kind of moving your body like getting a lot out and kind of venting but then after that um journaling, writing something down, Mm. spending a few minutes breathing and then watching something funny. Mm. So you choose to watch, you know, a programme or a a comedian or whatever that makes you laugh for a few minutes. So that combination of releasing the anger that's sitting in your body and often anger contaminates other feelings and so it can block us from kind of straightforward joy or, or just calm, expressing it, um, finding words for it and and then calming yourself down. So you go into fourth gear and then go back to first gear through the breathing and then watching something funny because you can't be angry and laugh at the same time. So you switch into mm. another part of yourself. You can do that in sort of 15-minute increments, if you like, and that is quite a good tool to help with anger because anger can just sit there. It can just literally lay this... Uh, prickly 
impatient, intolerant version of yourself. So queuing becomes annoying when normally you'd be okay parking. Your husband, friends, your fuse is like having layers of skin taken off. Your fuse is much shorter. Yeah. It's just, a, for me, a difficult emotion to kind of, yeah, want to to engage in or... or in... Scares you. Yeah. I always think, well, what's... What's the point in getting angry? This is where I'm at now. Like, this is the hand that was dealt. And what does that anger do? Um, and, I mean, the, the the good thing was that I found out about Cruise, which was a, an amazing at the time. Um, and, you know, having a network of people that you can kind of talk to and share that anger. And so they did some great kind of COVID groups as well. And um, that now allowed I guess that that vocal element of anger to be shared as well because otherwise you can just feel like that really angry person in the corner that you know people just don't understand it legitimizes your anger too when you share it with other people mm. so what what are the things that have helped you the, the covid groups cruise covid groups cruise your books your instagram oh thanks the recommendation of emdr so I, I did do that um oh brilliant yeah. how was that yeah it was it was interesting um it was online as well so I don't know how you know I don't know how it differs to in person I do it online you do it online. I think it's pretty good yeah. um well I just found it a really interesting process in the sense of just it it just raised awareness to things that I didn't even realize from the memory that I had um and that for me was really interesting and also the points that just made me really sad and that I didn't even realise. Um, so I think it was quite cathartic in that way. I I think it played a role. I'm not sure what my expectation was versus what it gave me, but I do think it played an important role in in processing the memory. Yeah, it sounds like it. That it you find a way of having a, a clearer narrative of fully what happened, memories that had been mm. buried traumatized memories we don't have access to because they switch off but then they can be triggered very quickly so it sounds like you connected words and stories so you updated your database so it could go back into the kind of cognitive processes part of your brain rather than the amygdala the kind of fight or flight part of your brain yeah uh, yeah, it definitely allowed me to see that and it allowed me to see parts that the the two weeks following that I wasn't able to be with my husband you know I almost don't talk about that as the story but that I think had profound impact on my sense of safety I mean I had a great friend who took me in and I, I, I stayed with so I had people around me but that ability to not be with your closest had such a profound effect that I didn't ever realize I just didn't and until you did that kind of unlocking of the memory and understanding where that sadness lies you kind of get to kind of put the picture together I guess and I, I think one of the things we are only really taking on board kind of generally now is that how safety is the key to mental health. That when we feel safe in our bodies, safe in our mind, safe in our homes, safe with the people around us, we are then able to withstand all kinds of assaults of difficulty and complexity because we have a basis of connection and safety that allows us to deal with them. 
And that when our body goes into kind of terror, when we're not safe, when you're alienated in this, you know, good friend's house, but not your home, how that amps up your experience because you're just like white knuckling it all the time. Yeah. Where's my comfort? Where's my my home that I've got my safety now? And on top of that, my mum was my safe place. You know, like that was also representing my anchor and my safe home. And so you take that her away and the combination of not even having my den of safety, I can totally understand why that just spirals mental mental health issues. And I don't know, was it postpartum depression or was it a result of the grief? You know, yes, I was absolutely depressed after having my little boy, which makes me so sad in so many ways. Um, but it's kind of ir- irrelevant. There's definitely a role that has been played by not being able to 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 have those rituals and have the you know grief and experience grief like we're supposed to I guess I never think it's too late to have the rituals so I wondered if you could ever have a celebration of her life with more than eight people or that's something that is too difficult or I've thought about it I think it still feels like an overwhelming task right now and I don't want it to feel like that I want it to feel like I'm ready to do this and I know that she'd want me to do that as well I mean I can hear in the background don't worry about me just no but I do I definitely I, I want I want invitations to talk about her and to 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 learn about her more about the, the mum the Yoli that I don't remember or that I didn't know um but I, at the moment it still feels like it's going to be a bit more of a an upheaval and an obstacle that I'm hoping with time will start to to lessen. Yeah, that you will have in some ways come to accommodate her death enough that you can then have the capacity to celebrate her life Mm. and you Mm. don't feel like you have that now. Yeah, and I also feel a little bit, if I'm honest, that the world's moved on. (laughs) I and I haven't. People who loved your mum haven't. I think, I'm not sure that's right. I'm pretty sure that isn't right. The people that loved your mum would want to come and celebrate your mum's life with you. I don't think there is a time limit on that. I think that is time limitless. Well, that's good because, yeah, I do. I do want to to have that. And I also want my, my little boy, Rami, to to learn about him, her, through through those kind of, those conversations in a, in a day that, you know, that we can celebrate. So it's it's definitely in my thought process. I just don't feel ready at the moment. Yeah. And you and Rami and your husband, how how is he doing? You said you were depressed his first months. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Has that shifted and changed now? Oh, I mean, yes, absolutely. Um, he, through, I think, like everything, time, therapy medication um has helped me feel lighter in the process and enjoy more moments with him but and I'm sure it's natural right like there are key milestones and elements that you know we're celebrating that I just that sadness will always come in but it just doesn't feel that that heaviness that was first there it's it's a different type of sadness one that's manageable whereas there were parts where it just felt just 
so difficult and I'm sure that's that doesn't help with lack of sleep and um no. nobody you know being able to come and help or anything like that but it does it it does feel lighter that's the only way I can describe it yeah grief does feel heavy doesn't it it's you know it's heavy in your body heavy in your mind you have no energy it's preoccupying and if you're sleep deprived with a new baby oh. not all not all toddlers sleep that well so I don't know which he's, end of the he's, he's he's okay he's good to be fair like you know there might be one wake up but there's nothing like it obviously it was from it from a newborn perspective um so you know sleep comes which is great which helps everything feel feel a little bit better but yeah just what you were saying about um the heaviness and, and and things like that. I never really appreciated the physical mas- manifestation of grief and what it does to your body. Mm. I just remember feeling just tight everywhere. And, you know, from a breathing perspective, just a really kind of shallow breathing. Grief feels like fear, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. But you'd also, you you tensed so much that you didn't even realise it until, you know, days afterwards where you felt like you'd run a marathon and you hadn't you hadn't done anything so I I, I think I I mean I, I hate saying this I have learned so much in the process about myself about grief about everything um I hate saying it so you're, <laughs> you hate saying it because you don't want to have had to yeah bloody yeah. do it to learn it but tell me what you have learned it's annoying as it is it's so annoying and it's not this it's not what I wanted in any way no just the I think I I I I appreciate if that's the right word grief now obviously losing someone so monumental in my life and understanding the impact that grief has and also just the fact that people grieve in very different ways and that's you know no there's no there should be no judgment on that um in any any sense of the word I've learned as I said around how you can be intensely happy and intensely sad at the same time Mm. so interesting isn't it yeah and so the expectation of what you and also the expectation of what you feel or or what you think will happen isn't necessarily the case and and also the importance of people around you and just being vulnerable and talking to them and being open and trying to destigmatize I think some of the things that I mean when you get into this circle you're just like why does nobody talk about this why does nobody help each other more why does nobody give each other a break a little bit more if this is what people have to go through (laughs) and that sort of ignorance and intolerance just makes your experience Mm. so much harder and yet all of us will grieve I mean as much as we I think everybody knows that we're all going to die but I'm not sure everybody fully recognizes that we're all going to be bereaved no No one goes through life without people they love dying no and you can't plan it right and you don't know when that's going to happen and as much in my head my mum was going to be 90 something and she was going to know her grandchild for however many years and that was a very different story to the one that I lived out um how old was she your mum 68 yeah yeah if you had one more minute with your mum what would you say to her aside from did you really have to leave right now (laughs) well you can say that as well I mean, I feel like a good chunk of the conversation would be like, I really needed you to hold on. <laughs> um, yeah. 
but also that I get her and I get her a lot more because I've become a mum and there were so many things that would upset me or frustrate me or and I get it like I get it now I'm living through it and understanding what it is to be a mum um and I almost just want to say maybe it is sorry or maybe it's just I get you and I get why you were like you were because chances are I'm going to be exactly like you (laughs) yeah um and knowing that feels a lovely thing it's like having her inside you too so it's not just that you get her it's that you'll be living with her inside you being her I can totally see some of my behaviors and things that I'm saying that 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 is her I just feel robbed that I didn't get the opportunity to kind of to say that to her um and appreciate I guess that and I and I don't uh, I truly believe that motherhood obviously does transform you and would only make you realize these things through being a mum but it just you know it just feels a bit cruel that I wasn't able to kind of share that with her and appreciate her more, I guess. Yeah. I mean, you really were robbed of her at a time that she was most precious to you. And that is extremely painful. And I am so sorry that happened to you. You try and make purpose and understanding of things, right? And it just, like everyone does in difficult situations and it's just really hard to to understand or make sense of the situation Um, there's no sense that can be made of a 68 year old woman being healthy one day catching a virus and dying days later you can never make sense of that that is too completely out of the blue random act of life yeah I guess so you're right you you keep trying to make sense of it yeah a little bit just why did this happen then like did did she know that she was really ill and she just didn't let me know like what was going like the whole kind of what was going through her head was she scared all the what ifs yeah yeah was she scared she was by herself you know she wasn't at the last moments but she was for the run-up how was she feeling the trying to make sense of could there have been something different that happened the course of action it took the ambulance far too long to get there there are all these kind of things that you're trying to make sense of and explain and answer and you'll never have the answers to but I think some of grieving is recognizing that you have that you have no choice but to accommodate unanswerable questions that you have to find a way of living with it doesn't mean you accept them or that they're okay or but to keep wrestling with them to try and fight them to the ground to to punch an answer out of them is just gonna drive you crazy because you're never gonna get it no doesn't mean my mind doesn't go there every now and again to just try and see if I have a hint or a clue. There's a exercise you could do, which you could just switch. So rather than digging on down, you could, when you find yourself doing that kind of Sherlock Holmes, you know, answer finding, that you could let yourself know that you're doing that and draw up an image of a television screen and the difficulty of the question, take a breath, switch the television screen to an image that's a calming, happy image, take a breath and switch the channel and then go about your 
work mm. or your day. And if you do that enough, the minute you start doing it, you automatically switch. Yeah. So my last question as we're coming to the end is, do you have a question for me? I mean, so many. I, I guess knowing that how much you know about grief and knowing the scenarios that we all had to kind of go through during COVID. I mean, I've obviously tried every tool with it and it's definitely helped. Don't get me wrong. But I guess... Is there anything I'm missing, would you say, from trying to, I'm not going to say move on because I know you never move on, but is there anything that is useful to, I guess, just make peace with this situation? I think it is some of what I just said now is that trying to make sense of it, trying to find answers, trying to be at peace with what happened is kind of setting you up because there are no answers. There is no sense that can be made of it. It's completely random, out of the blue, unfair. Um, You were robbed. In some ways, looking for a place that's a peaceful place with it, in a way, sets you up to drive yourself mad. And I think the work is allowing yourself to feel the pain of it, express the pain of it. And in doing so, you do find a way of healing and coming to terms with it. But it isn't like this place that there's a magic key to that your answers will will release you from. I can see you kind of laughing and crying at the same time. My my guess is that there's a a magical thinking in that if you get the magical key, you'll get your mum back. I want the magic key because it just makes it much more neat and uh, easy to process, I guess. But because it feels like there's a part of you that's still looking for her everywhere. Yeah, everywhere, and I guess. That's something that I definitely know that you kind of encourage through, you know, your work around trying to connect with them and keep them alive and in every way. Um, But, yeah, I do. I look for her everywhere. But the keeping her alive through the touchstones to memory comes alongside facing the reality and the knowledge that she has died and that she is not coming back. Yeah, the, the fact that I dream about her and that the, the story has a different ending. So it's exactly the same story in my dream, but the ending is that she's actually still alive and I just didn't know somewhat tells me that embedded in my mind is, I guess, that na- that magical thinking of that she didn't, that she hasn't. Um, and as much as I rationally can sit here and tell you this story and everything else, there's obviously something going on in my subconscious that suggests that maybe I don't fully yeah. believe it or want to believe it. Yeah. I guess that is connected to the surreal nature and the suddenness and the trauma of not seeing her and being with her and then being on your own and having a, such a small funeral and all of that, I think, would add to the surrealness. And I, just as a, a parting wondering, really, is 
was she buried or does she have ashes? Was she cremated? That there's a place that you could go to that is a touchstone to her actually not being physically alive. Uh, she's been cremated, but I don't have a plaque in place and I don't have any of those elements. And I wonder if I start that process, whether that will be a helpful way of kind of cementing a little bit more that she's gone. I think it would be a very important cementing that she has gone. I tell myself I haven't got round to it because I've been too busy, but maybe the reality is I haven't got round to it because I just don't really want to, to, to face it or to make it real, which I never actually thought about. <laughs> of course you don't want it to be true. Yeah. Oh, Suzanne, thank you so much. That's such a powerful, meaningful conversation. And I can really hear how much you love your mum and still love your mum and will always love your mum and how hard it is to believe that she's actually died. Thank you so much. I mean, it's literally such an honour for me to talk to you. Everyone I've been saying, the guru, the guru of grief, I said to my husband. And he looked at you raised, what, um, what, who's so... she? I've never heard of her. <laughs> but I, I, it's such an honour, so so thank you for for having me and thinking that my story is is worth to be heard your story is really worth hearing and will be very valuable i hope to everybody that listens to it so thank you for being generous enough to share it with us one of the very special things about this podcast is that at the end of every episode i get the opportunity to reflect on the conversation with my two psychotherapist daughters sophie and emily Sophie is an adult psychotherapist and Emily is a child psychotherapist. And as we all specialise in different forms of therapy, it is really interesting to see what their takeaways are, what their insights are, and if they think there was anything that I could have said or done differently. You'll quickly learn not all therapists agree on everything. But let's hear what their thoughts are this week. Hello, Sophie and Emily. My co-podcasters, we're going to talk about Suzanne and the complexity of her mother's death from COVID at the very beginning of the pandemic. And I wondered what came up for you. One of the first thoughts I had listening to this very powerful interview was around how trauma takes away our sense of safety in the world and completely just pulls the rug from under us in terms of how we think about ourselves in the world and Bessel van der Kolk talks about being able to feel safe with other people is the single most important aspect of mental health and so when you have something happen to you that completely derails that sense of safety it inevitably has a huge impact on your mental health as well. I got the sense that she was completely robbed of that sense of safety and then I think with most traumas and there's all these sort of domino effects of other things that happen as a consequence so for her it was around the birth of her daughter and that being obviously a much more complicated experience because of her mother's death but I think with other people's trauma it can happen in other ways and so this is awful domino effects of one loss then causes other losses along the way and just the unfairness of that and also, I think there's, you know, I'm not saying anything new here about COVID, but it was such a painful example of how what trauma research shows is the the biggest factor in whether or not people develop PTSD is the quality of the support they have at the time that these events happen. And 
COVID did the sort of terrible thing of putting people through traumas and alienating from the social support that they even did have. Even her husband, that he had to isolate for two weeks. Mm. And so then you get this sort of double risk factor as both the trauma and the lack of support to go through it that happened to so many people at that time, didn't it? For anyone that had a COVID death, I think they would identify with that experience of it felt very surreal because you didn't have a normal funeral, because you didn't have all the normal rituals. And I think what has been very common is this idea that you know in your head that the person that you love has died, but you don't feel it. You feel fear and this sense of heightened, like Emily talked about trauma, this heightened response, but you haven't really processed And I think what we understood through the episode, and I think other people, I think, will know in themselves, is there was still so much of the reality of her mum's death that still felt suspended, still felt kind of wasn't really true. Yeah, like this sort of magical thinking thing where, like, maybe if I don't do the funeral, I don't mark it with a plaque, if I don't do these things, then somehow I can keep pretending to myself that it might not be true. Yeah. It makes me think in my own experiences of bereavement, and we recently experienced a bereavement in my family, it was the power of not only of the funeral, but also of the burial that made something very final, which was both a feeling of I didn't want it to happen. I didn't want them to be dead and I didn't want them to be buried. And also it was a relief because it it was final rather than staying, as you were talking about, in that sort of suspended place where you're sort of in agony because it is neither one nor other. And that gave permission to grieve. Yeah, because that suspended place is exactly what a funeral manages in that it's a framework that has been through millennia, people have found rituals, often with stones, to both mark the ending of someone's life and an opportunity to say goodbye, mm-hmm. to recognise our mortality, that we all die, and to come together as a community and connection and the warmth of bodies together who knew and loved this person and to share this experience is how we begin to come to terms with the reality. And I think really through COVID, we knew before how important rituals were, but it's been magnified by 10 that not having them has been devastating. Sort of on top of the loss of the person, you also have the loss of not being able to say goodbye to the person and have that space to just properly grieve. I mean, I remember someone in our family that we've known and loved very, very much at her funeral and it was obviously very sad about it, but I hadn't really sort of properly cried, like properly like Ugh, ugly, let myself go cry. And then when we got to the funeral, the song playing was Downtown, which was one of her favourite, favourite songs. And, and there was just something about that, like listening to the song at her funeral, it just unlocked something in me and this sort of like even now talking about it I'm about to start crying because you need those things to sort of just allow you to unlock and and let the grief out and I think people who lost loved ones during Covid are frozen in a way. Because the healing comes through by allowing ourselves to feel the pain by unlocking that pain releases something that incrementally we adjust to this new reality that we didn't want. You need enough sense of safety and support 
to let yourself feel the pain and the experience of a funeral and you mentioned it mum like is it possible for maybe those people who have had this frozen COVID experience to recreate a ritual now that does that transitionary process from someone being from the world of the living to the world of the dead and to be held in that both by the other human bodies who love you and are that many degrees removed from so a sad but not as devastated as you are but also I found in those in the funerals of the people I've really loved and lost the actual rituals are also soothing and rhythmic the the words the music the the structure of it that is another way that you get held in the transition so that you go through something and you come out different at the other end and you kind of need that to allow yourself to do it don't you because you don't want it to have happened and that structure has a beginning, a middle and an end. You know, the beginning when the coffin goes in, the beginning when people gather together, the familiar music, you know, whatever the religion or not religion that it is, the familiar words and way that we have funerals. We go, oh, so that I know this, whereas death we don't know. It just feels so unknown and frightening and invisible. And so putting words to it, having a framework to it, having the coffin, all of these things that are so painful and difficult are in fact stabilising, as you say. Mm. Just one more thing I wanted to talk about is for other people is, M, you were born one day before your dad's mum died. So there's some parallel process. The thing that I was aware of when Suzanne was talking and as all therapists, when our clients talk, it ignites our own experiences. I remember so well that craziness of, I was then on my own most of the time because dad went to be with his mum, went to be with his family. And I was on my own with you and I got myself home on my own, which isn't what you kind of imagine. You think you want, it makes me feel sad thinking about it. No. You want, you know, you want the dad no, to come and pick sad. you up and put you in the car. And mm. um, I think I got a taxi and then I had to go and get a black dress to wear for the funeral and I was breastfeeding. And then we had lots of people for dinner, like all the family for like three days after you were born. I just remember this throbbing in my head that I couldn't compute. I had a beautiful, wonderful new baby, Michael's mum, who I was very, very fond of. I mean, I didn't love her because I'd only known her three or four years, but I was very, very fond of her, had died. And we had to organise the funeral and it was just too much. To, it's all I can say. I can't say anything deeply profound. Death and life is too much in the same time. Thinking about her baby, I feel like part of my narrative particularly as a child was around me being born just after dad's mum died <laughs> and yeah. that that sort of has had meaning for for me as well and and you wouldn't have thought it necessarily would because in one sense it's not like I felt sad for her I never knew her um but like dad would sometimes forget he'd get our birthday and her, the day she died mum's up like he could <laughs> I can't remember which one was it, and I think it has it hasn't shaped who I am in any like significant way, but it it influences you. It did influence me, and obviously because there was sort of a lot going on in that time period just after I was born. So yeah, I think it's definitely something I could identify with as well. And that our origin stories matter, don't they? In terms of the stories we tell about ourselves and 
I guess that's something that that as a parent you try and think about or I try and think about of the, how I tell my children the story of their their coming to be in the world yeah I think would be great we'll post some resources for people who've experienced postnatal depression about organizations they can turn to for support and for their mental health it's such a sort of crucial time so we need to come to the end of our conversation now thank you both Emily and Sophie so much and a particular huge thank you to Suzanne for sharing such a deepened kind of raw story about her mum and I'm sure a lot of people listening will really relate to her experience and the grieving process is so powerful. So thank you Suzanne and thank you to all of you who are listening do let us know what you think. Give us your feedback. I want to get better and learn and grow through the podcast. So do tell me what you know, what you think. And if you think it's helpful, do share it with your friends. And if you want it regularly, which I really hope you do, that it becomes a kind of regular spot in your week, do please subscribe to the podcast. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being part of our community. And until next time. Bye.